Chapter 7 How to Build David's Tabernacle Most assuredly, we must build David's tabernacle the same way that David built it originally. He was a man after God's own heart. David knew what would please the Lord and what would cause him to dwell in the common tent that he had pitched for the ark where his presence dwelt. As we have seen, the morning and evening sacrifice has always been the most important aspect of God's dwelling place, and King David was faithful to offer the sacrifice in his own life. This was the reason that God promised him that the Messiah would come through him. He became a dwelling place for the Lord's presence. But we need to see the details of what is involved in this sacrifice, as we will see in this chapter and the next. If we offer it God's way, it will bring tremendous blessing to our own lives also, as it did to David's life. What was required to properly offer this sacrifice? It is important to remember that every jot and tittle found in the Law of Moses have a spiritual fulfillment in our New Testament lives. Therefore, we first want to consider the priestly duties required to offer the sacrifice in accordance to God's instructions to Moses. When the priests opened the doors to the temple, they first approached the labor that was filled with water. There they washed their hands and feet before doing anything else. Water is symbolic of the Word of God that cleanses us. Our hands represent our works and our feet represent our spiritual walk. We are called to be priests who offer spiritual sacrifices. Therefore, it is important that, as spiritual priests, we fulfill, in a spiritual way, that which God ordained for His natural priests. His commandments for their ministry were much more than the jots and tittles of the law. They were life-and-death issues for both God's priests as well as for his people. As we approach the Lord to offer a sacrifice of praise and prayer to him, we should read a portion of the scripture or at least meditate on a portion that we are familiar with, because his word cleanses our works and our walk. Who among us never fails the Lord in those two areas, at least by failing to do something that he wants us to do? How sad it is that some Christians almost never read the Bible. They do not experience the cleansing that it brings to the spirit of man. I once was speaking with a 70-year-old man who was an elder in his church and whom I had known for some years. We were talking about spiritual things, and when I mentioned to him a certain verse from the Bible, he had a lost look on his face. I asked if he was familiar with that verse and he said he was not. I said, I imagine that you read the entire Bible, don't you? What he said was beyond belief, especially for an elder of a church who was leading others. He said, I read the Bible once when I was a teenager. He had not personally washed in the water of the Word for almost 50 years. He thought that reading the Bible once in his lifetime was enough. On another occasion, I was speaking with a man who had pastored a church and who later became a leader in a large church. I had known him also for some years. One day, we too were talking about spiritual matters, and I quoted a verse from the New Testament. He made it clear that he was not familiar with the verse nor the truth that the verse revealed. 
I said to him, Well, you can see that truth in many places in the New Testament. His annoyed response was, Surely you don't expect me to read the entire New Testament. I was in awe that a man who was a leader in a church considered it an unreasonable task to read the entire New Testament, to say nothing of the Old Testament that is about three times longer. No wonder there is so much doctrinal confusion in the body of Christ today. How can we have and preach sound doctrine if we do not even read the Bible? Do leaders obtain their sermons from their own ideas, personal opinions, and books that contain sermons that someone else preached? If what we preach is not life in us, it will not be life in those who hear us. At best, it will be nothing more than information, but not revelation. This exhortation is not only for pastors. We are all called to share the word with others, maybe not from a pulpit, but at least with those around us. Hebrews 3.13 commands us to exhort one another daily. In our ministry, we encourage everyone who loves the Lord to read the entire Bible once a year. After all, it is God's love letter to mankind. In the final judgment, He might ask us if, during our lives, we had received enough love for the truth to read His love letter. The Apostle Paul warns us, Because they received not the love of the truth, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. 2 Thessalonians 2, 10 and 11 Some might claim that this warning is only for the unsaved, but God is no respecter of persons. Anyone who does not receive a love of the truth is in great danger, because the truth is a person. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6 How much do we love him? If we truly love the truth, we will read the message that he has given us, the Bible. No wonder there are approximately 45,000 evangelical denominations in the world. They cannot all have the truth with no delusions or lies mixed into their doctrine. Is this because the Bible holds very little importance for many believers and spiritual leaders? What occurred during the sacrifice? After washing at the laver, the priests prepared the sacrificial lamb to be offered on the altar. Beforehand, they had also cast lots to determine which priest would enter the holy place to burn incense on the altar of incense and to trim the lamps of the candlestick and fill them with oil. No priest was permitted to participate in the lot if, at some time in his life, he had already been chosen by lot to have the privilege of doing that service. In Luke 1.9, we learn that the lot had fallen to Zacharias to enter the temple and burn incense. He was an elderly priest. While Zacharias was in the holy place, the angel Gabriel appeared to him and promised him a son in his old age. That son would be John the Baptist. The lot had never fallen to Zacharias during his many decades of service in the priesthood. He probably assumed that he would never be chosen for that great privilege. Some of us have waited so long for the fulfillment of God's promises to us that maybe we have given up hope, but God has His perfect time for each one of us. 
In God's providence and sovereignty, Zacharias was chosen by Lot to burn incense, and Gabriel appeared to him at the precise time so that John the Baptist would be born just six months before the Messiah would come. As Proverbs 16.33 tells us, God is the one who decides the lot. Once the lamb was ready to be offered, and the priest who had been chosen by Lot was in the holy place and standing before the altar of incense, a priest outside gave a signal that the priest inside could hear. The lamb was placed on the fire of the altar, and the incense was placed on the hot coals on the altar of incense. At that time, two pillars of smoke ascended before the Lord who was dwelling in the Holy of Holies. Those two pillars ascended before the Lord every morning and every evening during the continual burnt offering. It was the most outstanding characteristic of God's dwelling place in the Old Testament. David discovered the spiritual fulfillment of those details. During the thirty years that the tabernacle of David was God's dwelling place, David could not offer to him those two pillars of smoke. Why? Because both of the necessary altars were still functioning in the tabernacle of Moses, and God had forbidden anyone to make another altar. However, the Lord allowed David to discover something that pleased him much more than the two physical pillars of smoke. After all, they were only a shadow or symbol of what the Lord receives from His heavenly temple, which is the church and its people, and that temple is already in heavenly places. David discovered how a believer can offer those pillars of smoke to the Lord in a spiritual way. Most assuredly, two spiritual pillars of smoke that ascend from our temples every morning and every evening are much more pleasing to the Lord than two natural pillars of smoke. In other words, David discovered how a New Testament believer, as a priest unto God, has the privilege of pleasing the Lord daily by offering him those two pillars daily in a spiritual way. David showed us what his spiritual discovery was in Psalms 141:2. Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. The New Testament confirms that our prayers ascend before the Lord as smoke, in the same way that the smoke of the physical incense used to ascend before Him from the tabernacle of Moses. Psalms 141-2 also reveals what the spiritual fulfillment is of the second pillar of smoke. David tells us that the lifting up of our hands is a fulfillment of the evening sacrifice and obviously a literal pillar of smoke ascended daily from that sacrifice also when it was placed on the fire on the altar. As the Bible tells us, the morning and evening sacrifices are identical in every way, so the lifting of our hands is also like the morning sacrifice. What does the lifting of our hands refer to? There are several passages that confirm that it refers to praise. One example is Psalms 63, 3 and 4. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. So, David discovered that the two pillars of smoke that ascended every morning and every evening before the Lord were symbolic of two spiritual sacrifices, 
Prayer and Praise Does the New Testament reveal what the two pillars of smoke refer to? The Holy Spirit through Paul tells us, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands, without wrath and doubting. 1 Timothy 2, 8 Here is the fulfillment of the two pillars of smoke, prayer and praise. We have seen that the first chronological event in the New Testament was when the continual burnt offering was being offered and Zechariah was burning the incense in Luke 1. Likewise, Hebrews 13.15 exhorts us, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Very often, the last words that a person speaks before dying are of extreme importance. Surely, the last words of King David revealed what he thought were the most important things for God's people. His last words are recorded for us in 1 Chronicles 23, 27-32. When we read those words, we can perceive that David understood the vital importance of the spiritual fulfillment of the continual burnt offering. He gave clear instructions for the priests and Levites. In verse 30, he instructed them, to stand every morning to thank and praise the Lord, and likewise at even. Amazingly, he did not exhort them to faithfully offer the physical sacrifice. This was recorded by the Holy Spirit over 1,000 years before Hebrews 13.15 was written, where the Holy Spirit instructs us to offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, giving thanks to His name. This is applicable to all believers, but Hebrews was written to Hebrew believers. In other words, to the Jewish people. Any Jewish believer would understand that to offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually refers to the continual burnt offering. He would know that this means we are called to offer it every day and not merely once a week or once a month, much less once in a while. The Orthodox Jews still understand this very well, and they live it. Do we? They pray every day three times at the specific hour of prayer, in the morning, the afternoon, and the evening. I know by experience how seriously they take this. My family lived for a time in an exclusively Jewish neighborhood. At that time, an Orthodox Jewish man was building a house next door to us. Since my father was a builder, the Jewish man often asked him for advice. I was present on a number of occasions when my father was explaining things to him. However, when the hour of prayer came, without even excusing himself, he would turn and face Jerusalem and pray. He seemed to forget that we were there. I have done the following search on the internet. What religions pray multiple times a day? The answer that came back was tragic. Only Jews and Muslims do so. Where are the Christians? What testimony are we giving to the world about our God? Is he not worthy of at least the devotion that Jews and Muslims show? Another question we can search on the internet is, how many times a day are Christians supposed to pray? The answer found on the internet is that the early church fathers prayed seven times a day. But sadly, 
Today, Christians pray whenever they feel like it, and that is often very seldom unless they have a problem that they cannot solve, or maybe they are in a church service. The Bible's answer is, pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 Is it not time for the church to get back to the morning and evening sacrifice of prayer and praise? This vital sacrifice has been lost, but if we want to have a part in rebuilding the tabernacle of David, let's ask the Lord to give us His grace to restore in our lives the most important aspect of His dwelling place, the morning and evening sacrifice.